0: Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning, It's rainy day. This weather's been awesome, hasn't it? Like, maybe our lakes will end up getting full once again if it just keeps this up for, what, another year of raining like this. <laughs> but, no, it's, it's nice. Praise God for the rain. It's great to see you this morning. I've had a chance to meet you yet. My name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown Church, and uh, we're continuing a series that we've been in for a few uh, weeks now called Life Changing, the Radical Reorienting Nature of the Gospel, looking at and trying to press down into what exactly God has accomplished for us through the gospel. But before I get into that, I, I want to just uh, talk about a little something that um, kind of Intertwine, intersects with, uh, the series. And that is, and I think y'all know this, and it's, even though this is a bad thing to say in this part of Austin, y'all know that I'm an Aggie, right? Like, I went to A&M. Whoop. Yeah, whoop. There we go. So, uh, we got a number of Aggies in this room. Of course, we got a number of Longhorns. And for those of you, uh, UT students that are graduating, hey, congrats. And I know, uh, I know we've got a couple of, congr- uh, of graduate, graduating UT students. So that's pretty awesome. And way, way to finish. Way to go, guys. Um, I grew up as a Longhorn fan. I don't know if you know that, but I mean, both my parents went to UT, graduated from UT, and all my life, I grew up, like, rooting for Longhorns, going to games. I was always, always planning on being, uh, uh, going to UT, until uh, my junior year, my best friend, Ryan Shoemaker, went to A&M. He was a year older than me, or a couple years older than me, and so he was at A&M, and he started telling me about how awesome it was. We'd always dreamed about rooming together, and so I started thinking about, all right, maybe, maybe A&M, but, like, no, I mean, I just couldn't. I was the like, I just looked down at them and for lots of good reasons at that point in time. And, and so I was like, I just can't do it. But then... Then I found out my parents were going to expect me to pay for a good part of college. And I knew, knew myself enough to know, like, man, if I go to UT, I'll go the cheaper route and I will stay at home and live at home to save money. And I didn't want, like, even the temptation of that. And so I was like, I got to get out. I got to get out of the city. I'm going to go to A&M. I'm going to live with Ryan. And I will go be an Aggie. But my plan was I'm never going to really be an Aggie. I was going to attend A&M, right? But, like, I just couldn't get into, like, you know pulling for the Aggies. Like it's the Aggies. They were the enemies. But then I got there. I got accepted. I get into a and I am an Aggie. I mean, I got, I got like, I'm an A&M student, but I still was planning on being what they call a two percenter, what we call a two percenter. And so, but then I went to our first game and like, it's they, they talk about getting A&M and brainwashing you and like, it's true. It happened. I mean, it happened to me. Like I got there and it's like you're at the game and I'm thinking this is incredible. And like, so I start learning the yells, right? And we're standing the whole time. And the atmosphere was amazing. And I started learning all the traditions of A&M campus and, you know, you know, take your hat off in this place and don't step on the grass in this area. And I just got into it. I just thought it was awesome and the people and everything. And, and then I started living out who I was like I was an Aggie. But I wasn't going to live like an Aggie. And then I get caught up, swept up into it, exposed to it. And then I think, man, now I know what it really is to be an Aggie. And then I was an Aggie, like an Aggie Aggie. Still not not quite a Dustin Bruce level Aggie, but who is, right? But an Aggie, right? And so anyways, I share that to say that that's kind of like what we're talking about in this series, if you will. Uh, Not to the, you know, not trying to say being an Aggie, same thing as being a Christian. It's not. But... In the same way that, for me personally, I was I wasn't an Aggie. I got accepted to A&M. I became an Aggie, but then the question was, is I actually going to live out who I am? And then I ended up deciding, like, because this is who I am, and because I got exposed to it, and I found out more about it. Then I ended up trying to live out. Who I was, it, it flowed. Well, guys, that's how it works with the Christian faith, in the sense that we're trying to spend time in this series, helping us understand that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, you trust in Jesus to be your savior. That God does something in that moment, at that exact moment, when you put your faith in Christ, God does something that changes who you are. That in that exact moment, you go from being someone who's guilty to someone who's being forgiven. You go in that exact moment from being someone who is unholy to someone who's declared holy. Someone who what was unrighteous to being declared righteous. You go from someone who was, uh, had no power. And the inability to say to no to sin, yes to God, is to now someone who's who is uh, mastered by God and has the ability God living within you to say yes to righteousness and represent God fully as he designed us to. Like there's something here that just changes, that you become brand new, that not only you're where you spend forever, your eternal destiny, not only does that change, of course that is something that changes, but where you live, how you live, who you are now, right now, in this life, completely changes. You get a new identity. You become a new person. And the way that God changes you, when you put faith in your faith in Christ, it's different than the way that we go about changing ourselves, right? We've talked about this a couple weeks now, just as a reminder. It's not the same thing as how we try to change ourselves. We, by our work, we do something to be someone. That's the normal way that we change ourselves but God, He says, "No, no, it's based on who I am and what I've done. I declare you someone new. And now go live out who you are. And it's not what you do that makes you someone. It's what God's done that makes you someone, and then you live out who He says you are. And that process, it's hard to wrap our mind around because it's a faith-filled process. It's like we like it whenever we do something to be someone because we can say, like, I've accomplished something. I know for sure because I have this, this diploma or this whatever, this job or this, you know, whatever it might be. Then I know I can point to that and say that because of that, I am this. But for us, we need to accept by faith that because of what God has done, what God says, it's just as true. If really, I would argue, even more true. That you are someone new, not based on what you've done, but based on what God has done. The question is, will you believe it? Will you embrace it, who he says you are, based on what he's done and who he is? And so that's the process of how we change. We've been using this, this grid throughout this series. And so going back to okay, what may, what, how God changes who we are starts first with who is God, and then what has God done, and then who am I as a result, and how should I live in, uh, uh, in light of who I am who God's made me to be. And so we've been walking through that. And in this series, we've been pressing down on Matthew 28, which is, uh, if you're familiar with that passage, you've been with us the past couple of weeks, it's a passage where Jesus is about to leave uh, his disciples, his followers, and he's going to send to heaven after he's already died and risen again. And he's given his like kind of last parting words. And he says, okay, I want you to go make disciples. In fact, let me read it for us. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything i 've commanded you and surely i 'm with you always to the very end of the age, and in this passage there 's something very significant we 've been trying to like press down and help us like wrap our minds around over the last couple of weeks, and that is that Jesus is saying the last thing to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. He's saying, okay, here's my parting words. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the mission, kind of purpose for y'all. I want you to go make disciples of all nations. And then he gives them instructions on how to go about that. And the first thing he says is baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then after that statement, he says, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, right? Now, what's the importance of baptism? Why does he make that such a big deal? Baptism, just to be real clear, and scripture's clear on this, baptism does not save you. You don't get baptized in order to be a Christian. That what makes you a Christian is what Jesus did for you, not what you do for Jesus. It's Jesus' death and resurrection. It's faith in that. So you don't get baptized to be saved. But baptism is this like naming ceremony. It's a naming ceremony. It's a, it's a place to go public, both for others to hear, but also for you to kind of drive a stake in the ground for you to be reminded, this is who I am. Not based on what I've done, but based on what Jesus has done for me. And so when I get baptized, I'm going public. It's, in a, it's a public announcement of a spiritual reality. It's a public declaration of something that's already true for you spiritually. That's what baptism is. And Jesus says, that's oh, so important. If you're going to go make disciples of all nations, because you need to make disciples of all nations. You say, everyone needs to know what I've done for them. I've died and risen again, that they could have peace with God. Everyone needs to know this. You take this message to all the nations. But when you take this message to all the nations, and you're going to tell people this, and they're going to need to go and tell other people this as well. Before you go, Hey, go tell all these other people. You need to first say, you need to understand who you are. You need to understand when you put your faith in me, Jesus is saying, you change and you become someone new. Help ground them in that. In a sense with baptism, like bathe them in who they are, their new identity. Help them grasp that and then tell them to go live out who I have made them to be. That's when you go and do. Once you understand who you are as a result of what I have come and done. And so baptism is incredibly important for us to grasp our identity. And that's also why we're doing this sermon series. Not to take place of baptism. If you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you. Take that step. Get baptized. It will help you. Just remind yourself, this is who I am. And it will say to others, this is who we are in Christ. This is a great thing. But also, this is a part of just teaching this. To understand that we need to understand what Jesus is saying is so important. Like, who are we? based on what God has done. Let's grasp that. Let's embrace that. Let's believe that. And then allow who we are, based on what God has done and who he is, drive what we do. So that's kind of what we've been in this series. And so we've taken some time, and we've asked the question, okay, what does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit? And two weeks ago, we talked about, what does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Father? Well, who, who does that tell us God is? What well, it tells us God is Father. And what is the Father like? Well, what do we see? We see the Father gives his Son, and so he gives us sons so that we could be what? Made into his family. That we are now the beloved sons and daughters of God. When you put your faith in Christ alone, forgiveness of your sins, we become beloved sons and daughters of God, and we become family. Everyone who believes that. It changes who we are. So then what should we go do as a result? Well... We should love each other. We should love each other like family. And we should love those who are outside of the family of God. We should love them like the lost children, lost brothers and sisters of, of, of God. And treat them like God treats them. Going after them. Like God goes after them. Loving them. Waiting for them to take their seat at the table. the family table. So that's how we live. In light of who we are. Who God is. And then we said, okay. Last week we talked about what it means to be baptized in the name of the Son. Well, who is God? He's God. Is the son, and who's Jesus? He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the king, the king of kings. And what did the king of kings do? Well, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It's an amazing aspect of who Jesus is. And because the king would come and serve, his, through his service, we have been made servants. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. That as a result of Jesus' service for us, we are adopted into the family of God, but also become servants of the King. And so how do we live out who we are? Well we serve. We serve the least. We serve when we serve the least, we serve Him, we serve each other as family. We we serve others as God has served us. So that's a part of what it means to be baptized in the name of the Son. Today I want to spend some our time asking the third part What does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Spirit? Now, for those of you who maybe have a different kind of uh, um, spiritual background, let me just quickly say, being baptized in the name of Spirit, I don't mean what some people talk about as being baptized in the Spirit, which is a different thing than what I'm talking about here. And So being baptized in the name of the Spirit just means, how does who God is drive who we are, make us who we are, and therefore uh, influence how we live? And so we ask, okay, well, who is the Spirit, or who is God in this? Well, God is a spirit. It's the third person in the and the and the Trinity. The uh, thir- uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So God is spirit. Well, what does the spirit do? What does God do? Well, in Scripture, there's a we're told a lot about what the spirit does, but unfortunately, oftentimes in, uh, it feels like in, in Western Christianity, minus maybe a more charismatic church. The, the, the Holy Spirit does not get talked about very much. And many of us walk around with a very limited understanding of, of who the Spirit is. People, have, uh, Francis Chan, a, a, a pastor, author that I like, he wrote a book just called the, For, the Forgotten God. And it was all about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is equal God as Father and Son. But we rarely ever talk about the Spirit. We think about, well, what does the Spirit even do? Well, if you look in the life of Jesus, you see the Spirit very active. In fact, think about when the first time the Spirit um, shows up when Jesus is beginning his public ministry. Y'all remember where that is? It's at his baptism, right? In fact, uh, let me just read it for you. In Matthew, um, let me see, Matthew chapter 3, uh, verse 16, we're told this. And when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water and behold the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. And what's interesting about this and something that we can take away from this is that when Jesus is baptized like he had spent like 30 years just in like Behind the scenes, like the king of kings, the creator of the universe is there living among us and he's not making a big deal about himself. But there comes to a point where he's going to go public with his ministry and what he does to initiate his public ministry is that he gets baptized and he gets baptized. And the spirit of God comes upon him and then he begins his public ministry. And I think that that uh, connection That chain of events is very insightful. In fact, when we keep looking, as we will this morning, what the Spirit does is that what we'll see is that the Spirit of God empowers us and sends us out to uh, participate in God's mission to save people. That's what we see in the Spirit. The Spirit empowers us and sends us out to participate in God's mission to save people. And what Jesus does gets baptized. Spirit comes upon him, and what's next? He begins his public ministry, empowered by the Spirit of God to go do the work of God. In fact, Jesus' very first message we see in Luke chapter four, verse eighteen, it's this: that Jesus' very first like uh, a sermon. He's preaching. He opens up the scrolls to to Luke. Uh, I mean, not to Luke, to to, um, Isaiah 61. We read about this in Luke chapter 4, and this is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus is speaking. Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. You see what he's saying? Very first message. And the Spirit of God is on me. And because, why? Why is the Spirit of God on you? So that I will preach. I'll preach the good news. I will preach the gospel. I'll preach the gospel of those who are oppressed and those, to, uh, those who are bound. And, and so that the blind can see. I mean, all this is like, I, Jesus is saying, I've got the Spirit of God on me to preach the gospel. This is what the Spirit does, guys. The Spirit empowers and sends us to participate with God in the mission of and his mission in the world to save people. So what does that mean for us? Well, it's interesting that in Jesus, at the end of Jesus' ministry, we see in John chapter 20, after Jesus has died for our sins, after he had spent the time in the tomb, third day rose again. After he'd appeared to many people, seeing him alive, resurrected from the dead and one of those appearances it's to his disciples and he gets together with them and he says this in john chapter 20 verse 21 he says uh, jesus said peace be with you as the father has sent me i am sending you now that is a that's a big statement isn't it peace be with you as the father sent me i'm now sending you and how did the father send the son well he sent the son by uh, coming as a servant, he sent the son to leave what was comfortable, to go to what was uncomfortable, so that people would know what God is like and what God has done for them. Like the father sent the son out, Jesus say, now I'm sending you, sending you on the same mission, also sending you with the same power. Because notice, in verse 22, and we're about to read it, he does not say, and so now I'm sending you. So do your best to change the world. He doesn't say, okay, now I'm sending you so that you could really try really hard to be like me. You know, just try to live up to me and measure up to me and you can do it. You can do it. Just, just try. That's not what he says. Look what he says in verse 22. So just read the whole thing. Jesus said, peace be with you. As a father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy spirit. Now, I don't know what that looks like, and that reads kind of weird. Like, I'm trying to picture that, right? Like, Jesus like, breathing on these guys. I mean, is it just one big breath, or is he coming to each one and breathing on them? I don't know what that looks like. But what's important here is to see that what he says, okay, I'm sending you. Just as the Father sent me, I'm now sending you. Now, you are going to participate in my mission. I'm a sending God. The Father sent the Son. The Son is sending you. And then you see that the means by which we are being sent is by the Holy Spirit. That Jesus, when he begins his public ministry, the Spirit comes on him, empowers him, and sends him out to do the public ministry. And then what happens? Jesus says to his disciples, now I'm sending you out. And what's he say? I'm giving you the Holy Spirit so that you now have the power. And now you will be sent out to go do this ministry so that all of this, so all the world would know what I've done for them. And you make disciples of all nations. Have you ever thought about this idea of the Spirit being, like, indwelling you? Like, you receiving the, the Holy Spirit? Like, Scripture, is very clear that when you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that God actually comes to indwell you, to be with you, that we don't just live for God, but even better, now we are able to live with God. That this is what God really wants, is for us to be with him. And so he comes to and us. Like, this is one of the most crazy thoughts, in the, I think, uh, of all time. I mean, it's, it's just, it does, it's so mysterious. In fact, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. He calls it mysterious. In Colossians 1.27, he says this. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as that... <laughs> Like that is a mystery, isn't it? A God coming to indwell us, the God living within you. Like I don't I don't know if I can really explain that. Like what is that like and what does that mean and how does that work? And like I don't it's a mystery, but it's a mystery made only only made possible by the gospel. Because through what Jesus did for us on the cross, He made unholy people holy temples. That through Jesus' death on the cross, he made unrighteous enemies of God, beloved, righteous children of God. That when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is what was changed in you immediately. And as a result of what God has done for you, now God can come to dwell with you. That you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, reigning and living with you, in you because of what Christ has done for you it's um, it's unbelievable it's it's imp- it's incredible my friends it's true you have the holy spirit in you so what does that make us we have God with us how are we changed as a result of who God is spirit and what he does and powers and sins. And so Jesus dies to make us new, brand new, so the Spirit can come live within us. If we have this Holy Spirit within us, then what does that make us? Well, the best word I would know to use to describe what we are now, identity, language, who we are now in Christ, how we've been changed is this, that we are missionaries. We are missionaries. And I don't know how that word strikes you, you think, man, I don't know if I want to be a missionary, or like I don't, I don't think I am a missionary because I certainly don't live like a missionary, or I'm not going to live like a missionary. I have no plans to move and go to some other country and tell people about Jesus. That's not me, so I'm not that. I'm not going to be a, a missionary. But let me make this really clear for you. A missionary is not someone who goes to a different place to tell people about Jesus. That's not what makes you a missionary. What makes you a missionary is what God has done and that who you've received as a result, the Holy Spirit. And because you have the Holy Spirit, you are a missionary. So you don't do something to be someone. That's not how God changes you. What, who God is and what God's done is what changes you, and now you go and live in light of that. The other thing I want to make clear is that you don't have to, therefore, as a missionary, go to a different place to tell people about Jesus. A missionary is simply this. A missionary is someone who's been sent by God. That's what a missionary is, sent by God. And so we might need to change our language or at least add to our vocabulary this, that when we talk about someone being a missionary to, like, India, you can definitely say that as long as you don't mean that you're also not a missionary to Austin. Because that is who, where we have been sent. Wherever you are is where God has you. You've been sent by God as a missionary. Because of who he is and what he's done, he's made you into someone that you were not. So I was not a missionary. But because of what God has done, I now am a missionary. Let me go live out who I am. And that doesn't mean I go to India, though it could. It definitely means I go to my neighbors and my classmates, my co-workers, my family and my friends, the people in my life where I am, understand that's where I've been sent. I've been sent by God. What did Jesus say? Peace be with you. As the Father sent you, as the Father sent me, I am now sending you. And he breathes on us the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's where we are. That's who we are. Uh, one of my favorite passages, really like, makes this clear, is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Again, parting words of Jesus before he ascends to heaven. This is what he says to his followers. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Notice he doesn't say you will begin to act like witnesses, or you will witness. Now, he says, uses identity language. Once they receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, that's where they were. And in Judea, the surrounding area, big geographic area, Samaria, countercultural area, and the ends of the earth. That Jesus is saying, okay, I want you to hear this. Hey, don't go, don't go start, he even says, don't go start telling people about this yet. Don't go tell people about what I've done. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come on you. Then when you receive the Holy Spirit, then you're going to have the power to go do what I'm telling you to go do. And you will be sent out because you will be different. You will receive the Spirit. It's going to make you into someone you were not. You were not my witnesses. Now you are my witnesses. So go witness. And guys, when we have put our faith in Christ alone and forgiveness, at that moment we receive the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do something else to get the Spirit. You give, you're given the Spirit as a free gift through faith in Christ. And the moment you receive the Spirit, you have this power of God living within you. You have to go do, to enter with him, to participate with him in his mission. And you are a new person. You've been changed. You're a missionary. You're witnesses. Now, a witness, also worth, worth pointing out here, a witness is not someone who, uh, is always out trying to convince people what, or tell people what they have to believe. In fact, I think it's one of the reasons why we're so, we're so scared and we're so, uh, we, we lack, we, we often just don't even participate in what the Spirit wants us to do, has empowered us to do. We don't live like who we are as missionaries. One of the main reasons, I think, is because we don't want to be telling people what they have to believe, right? We don't want to convince people. We don't want to be the thing that argues people into the faith. And friends, I just want to help you all understand. understand, like, that's not what God has called us to do. We, in fact, just very clearly, I just like, we're not God. We don't have the power to save someone. And if you think that it's on your shoulders to talk someone into belief in God and to save them, then please, like, repent of that. That's not true. That's God's work. And that's good news, right? Because we don't want that on us. We don't, we're not the saviors. We're not the ones trying, like, that's not on us. So let go of that. Here's what is on us, to be witnesses. What's a witness do? A witness talks about what you've seen and you've experienced. A witness of Jesus, someone who proclaims Jesus, is someone who talks much about Jesus. Who he is, what he's done for you, how he's changing you, what your hope is in him. You talk about Jesus, you proclaim Jesus, you talk about what he's done for you. You talk about how great he is. But you don't have to carry the weight of trying to convince someone else to believe. Let God do that. That's God's work. We just tell people. We just tell people about what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That's what it is to be a witness. Um, one of the things I love about our church is that we, uh, we have a church that talks about Jesus a lot with people. In fact, I don't know if this is weird to you or, or what, but because like our vision is that you know every man, woman, child in Austin hears the gospel from a person who loves them, it probably would make sense to you to know that like we try to keep up and, and, and track a bit to a degree, not real rigid, but to have an idea of like how many people are hearing the gospel from our church. How many people are from individuals in our, in our church? How many are getting to hear the gospel from someone who loves them? And I can tell you that for sure, at least 48 people heard the gospel last month for people in our church. And like that's a, that's a big deal to me. Like That's why we started this church. People would hear the gospel from someone who loves them. I love that. But one of the things that keeps us from doing that, like I said, is when we feel like, okay, it's on me to convince them. And guys, I just want to give you a picture. like that's, here's, here's what it can look like. like. I was talking with a friend the other day, and he was asking me, hey, what do you like about being a pastor, right? Maybe y'all wanted to ask that before. Like, What's your life look like? And do you like it at all or whatever? And I love being a pastor. And my favorite thing about being a pastor is being able to talk to people about Jesus. Talk with y'all about Jesus. Talk with my neighbors and my friends that don't know Jesus yet to talk to them about Jesus. And he said what many of us would say. He said, man, that's cool, but I just, man, I'm not good at that. And I just can't do that. I don't... I just never, like, I never talk to people about Jesus. And I don't even know how to do that. I don't know what to say. And so I, I just said, well, like, it's a lot easier than I think we make it out to be. For example, like, let me just tell you about a conversation I had, and I was telling this guy this. I'll tell you guys this, like, a conversation I had with my, na- my neighbor, John, the other day. John and I are hanging out on our porch, and, and, and uh, one night hanging out and having fun, and he starts talking about this new business that he's starting. He had just gotten kind of laid off, but it was kind of a blessing in disguise because he'd been working on this side project that's like his dream kind of baby. Like, this is the business he's always wanted to start, and he was like, actually already getting some, some uh, m- uh, momentum with it. And then he got laid off, and it's like, I'm just going to be able to give all of his time to it. And he's really excited about it. It's like his dream. It's his moneymaker. It's his, it's his baby, right? And so he's excited, and things are start going well. But then he just says, man, like, I'm I'm worried. Like, I feel like i got all my eggs this basket and what if it doesn't go well i said man i I get that feeling like he knows what i do and all that stuff and i said like starting a church has been crazy (laughs) like like it feels a lot like starting a business in, in some ways right and you know, y'all understand what I mean by that. And you're starting something from scratch. And, and it's like, man, this is hard. And you got, it's, this has been my dream. And, and I could say it's my baby, though it's not. It's God's. But you, you know what I mean. So I'm relating with my neighbor and talking about this stuff. And, and I said, well, here's what's been really helpful for me and something I just would, you know, want to offer to you. is that this It's like, man, if it wasn't for Jesus, like I just think I'd be an emotional train wreck all the time with this With this church like because every Sunday, I can just be incredibly discouraged, I could be incredibly discouraged by how many people are here or incredibly encouraged by how many people are here. I hear a good story, and i 'm like on top of the world, but I hear a story where people are like disappointed or discouraged, and i 'm like down in the dumps and like I just could, my emotions could just ebb and flow always based on how things went that week or that day or based on one conversation and if I think, man my my value as a person is completely connected to how this church does. And if I felt like my security and my family security is completely connected to how this church does, then I, I think I would just be like always in the dumps or always on the top of the world and never in the middle and n- never fun to live with. Because <laughs> like, it would just be ups and downs, ups and downs. And I said, man, but here's what here's what Jesus has done for me. I say, man, and I told my neighbor, John, I said, you know I believe this. Like, I believe that Jesus died for me. And that that tells me that God loves me that much that he would die for me. And therefore, my value is not dependent on how well this church does. My value has is, is, is really been uh, you know, said once and for all, set once and for all as being as valuable as, as the death of Jesus for my sins. So I know I matter. And I don't need to look at the success of a church to tell me that I matter. I got Jesus for that. And the other thing I know is that if Jesus loves me enough to die for me, then I'm secure. Because if God of the universe cares enough to die in my place, then He cares enough to take care of me and my family. And it might look different than what I thought it would look like, but I can trust that He's got He's got me. And so, man, I that's why Jesus is such a like. That's just one couple of reasons why Jesus is such a big deal with me. <laughs> And he just said, hey, that's amazing. I wish I could believe that. That would certainly make this j- starting this job a lot easier for me. And I said, yeah, I can see that. And then we just kind of moved on. I just, told, I just told John who Jesus is and what he's done for me. I was a witness. So I proclaimed Jesus. It's on God to work on, to work on John. And I keep I'll keep talking about Jesus to John. But I'm just gonna be a witness. I'm gonna talk about Jesus. Jesus' greatest, greatest person ever. He's our God. He's He's He is like we just saying, how great is our God. Like, he's incredible. Like let's talk about Him, friends. And you think, well, I don't just, don't ha- I just don't have it in me. I just, I'm just i an introvert or I'm too shy or I don't know what to say or on and on, whatever excuses you have. And friends, if you leave here thinking, I can't do that, then praise be to God. Because you can't and I can't. But if the result of this message is that it leaves you thinking, I need someone who's better than me. To be able to do what we were talking about. And to be able to live out who I am in Christ. Then yeah, you've got it. And I think that's one of the greatest things about talking about sharing the gospel. Proclaiming Jesus. Is that all of us feel a bit of like, I can't do that. And that's good. We should feel that I can't do that with so much more of the Christian life than we normally feel like. But at least in this area, you would see, I can't do that and let that drive you to Jesus and let that tr- have you depend on the Spirit. That's why we've been given the Spirit to empower us and to send us out in the mission of God. And so this is not about you trying to be better and you trying to work up the strength or the extrovertedness or the whatever. Like that's not, this is about depending on The Holy Spirit. And when you put your faith in Christ, you're baptized in the name of the Spirit. You've been united with the Spirit of God. He's come to indwell you. And he's empowering you. And he's sending you out to join God in his mission. And I think one of the main reasons why we don't fully experience the life of the Spirit is because we're so quick to say no to the very thing he wants to lead us to do. Friends, say yes. (laughs) And trust in his power to go and tell people about Jesus, to proclaim Jesus, to be a witness of Jesus. It's who you are. You're a missionary. It's who God's made you to be. Let's live like it. One way you can do that, one way to help you do that beyond depending on the spirit, and that's where it all begins, is by joining a group of people who are saying I want to do that and I need help doing that and you need help doing that let's help each other live out who we are in Christ and guys that's our MCs and I know this is like a real big like plug and I'm trying but it is like that's why we're doing this in fact we said that this is our definition of what a missional community is it's right here a missional community is a family of missionary servants sent as disciples who make disciples That's that's what a Midtown community is. It's a family, a family. Why are we family? Because we've been baptized in the name of the Father. We've been, because of what God has accomplished for us, we are now family. Let's live like it. We're missionaries. Why? We've been baptized in the name of the Spirit. So this is who we are. Let's live like it. We're servants. Why? We baptized in the name of the Son, the King, and so we're his servants. Let's live like it. This is who God has made us to be in Christ. Let's live like it. Let's get together and connect with each other and help us live out who we are. A Midtown Community is not about, it's not a to-do list. It's not, now I've got to go do all these things. A missional community is a group of people helping us live out our identity life. This is who we are. Let's help each other live that out. And so I want to invite you to join a missional community, a Midtown community. Because there's people in our church who are saying, I want to do that. I want to live out who I am. I need help. Will you help me? And you can say, I need help. Will you help me? And together we can depend on God to help us all together live out who we are. We're going to end our time by taking communion. And I want us to think about two things as we take communion. And you can take communion by coming up here during our worship set and taking the bread and taking the cup. And anyone who's a Christian, put their faith alone in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. You're invited to come take communion with us. But here's the two things I want you to think about as you take communion. One is this. Um, perhaps you're hearing this and you're thinking, man, I just, I, that's not me. And I don't li- I'm not living out who I am. If that's really who I am, I'm not living that out. I'm not good at that. I don't even know if I want to be good at that. I don't know if I want to do that. Or you think maybe some shame. Okay, I I know I'm supposed to be good at that, but I'm not good at that. I haven't been doing a good job. And you feel like you're not measuring up. And that's what you feel right now. Friends, as you take communion, hear this. We don't have to measure up. As we take communion, what we remember is what Jesus did for us. That he died in our place for our sins. Because we could never measure up. But God himself laid down his life for us so that we could receive his righteousness, that Jesus became sin for us so that we could become his righteousness. And so as we take communion, we remember what Jesus has done for us and don't sit in your shame but realize that Jesus said, hey, blame me, blame me. And don't sit here and beat yourself up. Remember, Jesus, Jesus was beaten for you so you could be accepted. The second thing I want you to remember as we take communion is that uh, that's incredible good news, isn't it? So as you take communion, rejoice that this is what Jesus has done for you. Rejoice in the love that Jesus has for you. As you take this communion, may you say to God, God, because of what you've done, Jesus, because your body was broken for me, because your blood was spilled for me, that we could enter into a new covenant, a relationship with God based not on what I do for God, but what he's done for me because of that, because this is incredible good news. God, will you use this good news and the spirit I've received as a result of belief in it to compel me out of love to tell people about Jesus? And Jesus, thanks for how you demonstrated your love for us in this and while we were still sinners, you died for us. And God, that you uh, have made us new and that through what you have done on the cross for us, God, we are a new creation. And Lord, we are now declared by your work, by your word, holy and righteous. And you have come to indwell us, to live within us. And that we're told in Romans 8 that, that the spirit of, the, of you, God, your spirit lives within us. The very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives within us. God, may we live in light of that truth and not be... Uh, lacking in courage or boldness, but dependent on you to live out who we are, Uh, missionaries, God, sent by you, just as you sent your son, to tell people about Jesus, the greatest news of all time, that you love them like you love us. It's amazing. Can you help us live out who we are? For your glory, God, and the good of all those that get to hear. In Jesus' name we pray.